The St. Louis Board of Aldermen is often an epicenter for hot-button issues, and one key power player toward resolving many of them is Alderman Lyda Krusen. The 28th Ward Democrat joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight seven, six, six five, five four, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. I say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joe Manis is transversing across the East Coast. So we bring to you our guest host for today. Rachel Lipman. And our very special guest. Lida Krusen. Alderman. Do we, alderman, Alderwoman. Do you Either prefer? One. Either one. We're going to just say alder, Alderman just for, for fun. fun. For the 28th Ward in beautiful St. Louis. Absolutely. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Um, before we get to the hard-hitting topics and as well as your uh, life story, just tell us a little bit about what the 28th Ward encompasses. Because sometimes when people just hear number slash ward, it's kind of ambiguous. What, 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 what are the boundaries for that? Well, the, tw- the eastern edge of the 28th Ward is Boyle Avenue. It includes the Central West End, DeBoliver Place neighborhood, Skinker DeBoliver neighborhood. Um, goes all the way up Skinker to Olive. South on Skinker includes the Cheshire, a little part of Dogtown, and most of Forest Park. So it includes fun places like the St. Louis Zoo, the, I guess, the Art Museum, the History Museum. It does, the Loop. Part of the Loop. Oh, wow. Euclid. So it must be one of the, the funnest wards, I would I would imagine, as far as attractions. Is that fair to say? Well, let's say it is. Let's just say it is. <laughs> it, it's also interesting because the 28th Ward has also been kind of a politically powerhousey ward. You have the state senator, Joe Kevney, who lives there. For many years, Lacey Clay lived there before he absconded to the county. Mm-hmm. And uh, you live there as well. <laughs> I so. do. I've lived there a long time. So just and tell Vince Shamel, Vince of Shamel course, as former well. mayor Vince Shamel. So it is, um, as much as I like to pump up the 16th Ward because I live there, and I'm sure you like to pump up the 8th Ward because I, you w- I was there. 28th Ward uh, until I moved south. So, so um, 28th is, is, is pretty politically potent. Um, but tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what you were doing before politics, where you're from, where you went to high school, all that jazz. Oh, good. <laughs> where I went to high school. I love that question I because know. I went to high school in Moberly, Missouri. I graduated in Moberly, Missouri. You're a Mober, Moberlyan. Moberlyan, I guess I, I that's how you I, say I, that. I don't know what the I'm, I'm scripter is for Moberly, Missouri. <laughs> I, I have to ask, did you know Steve Gaw at all? He's younger than I am. I met him when he was a state rep. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I didn't know him when I lived in Moberly. Moberly Mo, I call it. Yeah, because he is the former Speaker of the House. He's probably the the most... I don't don't know if any Moberly people have gone to Congress or become governor, but he became Speaker of the House, Mm -hmm. which is a big deal. So I have to always ask if Moberly people knew him. Omar Bradley's from Moberly. That's true. Omar Bradley Airport is there. Yeah. And um, so how did you come to St. Louis exactly? I graduated from college uh, long ago, moved to St. Louis for a job, and uh, have been here ever since. And um, when did you first decide to run for alderman? Uh, I was elected in 1997, so that's 17, almost 18 years ago now. Uh, and and surprisingly, that's not even that long at the Board of no, Aldermen. There are five or so people that have more seniority than I do. So For people who follow the board, that actually matters because seniority plays, I think, a big deal in how the, the Board of Aldermen proceeds. Is that is that a fair thing to say? Or is it 
Or could somebody just burst in and set the world on fire? Basically? Oh, I think someone can burst in and set the world on fire. And that's a really great thing about the Board of Aldermen. The only thing really determined by seniority is uh, committee chairmanships. Mm-hmm. So the committees are important at the Board of Aldermen. That's a bill has to come out of committee first, be heard in committee, and be voted out. And so the chairman of that committee um, has a little bit of influence over what gets heard, when it gets heard, and that sort of thing. But the chairmanship is really the only thing uh, determined by seniority. And and how um, I know that that uh, with the next census, the board's going to go down to, to 14. How, how's that going to shake out in terms of like seniority as people kind of start jockeying for for post-2021, looking for, for jobs elsewhere, retiring, deciding they don't want to, you know, keep going? Right. Well, I think we don't know how that's going to shake out. Um, but I, I do think that'll be good for the city of St. Louis. There'll be 14 aldermen after that transition. It'll be very challenging um, to go through that cha- transition, I think. But um, something that the voters and the Board of Aldermen jointly decided should happen um, some now it has been, I don't know, has it been five years ago? Four or five, I yeah. think. It was yeah. 2012 when they voted on it. Um, It'll be an interesting thing to see because I think that there are some areas of the city which are just going to naturally become one ward. My part of the city of Southwest Side, I could easily see the 16th, the 12th, and the 23rd becoming one ward. Ward because when I run two or three miles around Hampton or mm-hmm. Jameson, I'm like crossing wards left and right. And I don't even right. know it. Parts of right. 8th, 15th, 23rd. Because yes. Tower, Tower, Tower Grove East is part of I think like four or five different wards, that right. one neighborhood, 8th, yeah. 15th. Um, well, the Central West there, End yeah. has, has three different aldermen yeah. right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I think there are a lot of natural boundaries, but as you know, in politics, natural boundaries are not always the boundaries that are drawn. And, no. you know, so. That's going to be fun. Um, and by fun, I mean fun for reporters, probably not mm-hmm. fun for aldermen. Mm-hmm. But I think that was kind of the point of it passing, that you're shrinking the board, there's going to be less slots right. available, and there's going to be more competition for these, these seats right. potentially. But I think the end result, the board of aldermen will actually be more powerful yeah. if there are 14 rather than 28. Uh, as it is now, if you think about it, um, if the mayor has an, a proposal, and this is how it often works, he has to get 15 votes. Or if the president of the Board of Aldermen has a proposal, he has to get 15 votes. Well, it's easier to get 15 out of 28, perhaps, than it, it would be to get 8, eight, out, eight of 15, out of 15, basically. Yeah. 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 Because we'll so, be 14 plus the Board of Aldermen yeah. president, so it it'll, will, be, yeah. it'll still be 15 right. people, and the Board of Aldermen president will still get a vote. But, I mean, again, as you mentioned, you it'll... It, it, it's easier to get 15 people sometimes than it mm-hmm. is to get seven or eight. So, right. um, But we have a lot of issues to talk about in the city of St. Louis. I don't know even where to start, but Rachel, why don't you pick the first topic? I guess we'll go with um, the... the- the issue that that you've kind of been championing and spearheading, and that's streamlining the the business code in the city, trying to make it a little bit easier for businesses to start up. Was there sort of one thing you looked at and said, "This is why we need to, to make this change"? And and what are some of the changes that you're champion championing here? Well, there are several examples of it. I mean, right right now, if you are uh, starting a small business, it can be a pretty onerous process and a pretty expensive process. Um, there's a, um, a woman I know who was uh, starting a soap-making business. She really just wanted to sell soap at Tower Grove Park, at the flea markets, and that sort of thing. Uh, she's a retired lady. So uh, 
wanted to do everything right, went to get a business license, hadn't, hadn't sold any soap yet, but went to get a business license, uh, went through that process. They said, oh, well, that's $200. And by the way, you're a manufacturer, okay, because I guess you're cooking up soap on your kitchen stove. You are a manufacturer, and you need a manufacturer's license also. And that was another $200, and they both required some hearings because she was doing it out of her house. So she was in for $400 before she even sold a bar of soap. Now, this is a hobbyist, I would call it. And, um, you know, when you hear a story like that or a story of a woman who was a book editor, she did that, of course, out of her home. All she needs is a computer. And um, she hadn't gotten the business license beforehand, but then she went to pay her earnings tax and her earn, you know, on not very much money, but in her earnings tax said, oh, well, you need a business license. So then she had to go get a $200 business license. This was all for a very small amount of, of revenue. And so the thought here is really, let's try to encourage people to start businesses and to start them legally, get a business license, pay their earnings tax like everyone else does. And so to streamline that process a little bit. Um, so the proposal that's on the table, and it has not had a hearing at the Committee of the Board of Aldermen yet, is uh, for that license to cost $25, that business license to cost $25. And uh, if you are actually working out of your home for that uh, home occupancy waiver not to require a hearing. And I think, you know, I have been uh, trying to get information from the license collector about all the licenses that are issued in the city of St. Louis. I've made several requests in writing and uh, asked her uh, just to provide a list of all the business licenses, how many employees they have, um, how much they pay for their business license. Because at this time, I mean, as you know, we also have a lot of other issues facing us, not just this one. You know, we're trying to figure out how to pay for more police officers. We're trying to figure out how to come up with a local match for federal projects, federal capital projects, roads and bridges. So I certainly don't want to do anything that will uh, in any way uh, hurt the city's revenue stream. So still waiting uh, for that. I'd like to have that information electronically. Uh, it was provided to me in hard copy. It's 1,153 pages. It's a bit difficult to analyze that. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot of business licenses. And so, but uh, still waiting to get that. I I uh, am hopeful that that will come through. I mean, now, I started this back in June. I, I need to. Th- this is one of the few times I actually have to disclose something because when I was freelancing in 2011, 2012, I actually got a one-person business license from then license collector Michael McMillan. And actually, the situation that you just mentioned about the book editor was pretty much exactly what had occurred to me. I went into city hall because I thought I would just pay my estimated earnings taxes because I had made, you know, enough to where I needed to pay them. And then the collector of revenue said, well, you need to get a business license for this. And this did not occur when I was freelancing in Columbia, Missouri. Mm -hmm. Nobody in Boone County was like, you need to get a business license to be freelancing out of your house. So, but I I did it. I went through the process. I got a business license. I paid the $200 twice. And um, so, I actually, this is one of the rare instances of something that I've encountered because I did write a story on that and and disclosed that at the bottom that I actually went through. Um, I'm not going to disclose how I felt about it because um, I want to stay somewhat objected to it. But you were actually at a press conference by 
license collector Mavis Thompson when she was responding to this proposal and other proposals that would affect um, business licenses of this size. Here is one clip from Mavis Thompson about how she felt about this type of proposal. For licenses from one to two, I don't disagree that, that that policy needs to be reviewed, but not as drastically as reducing the fees 87% and making a downfall of $1.3 to the city. I do believe that the policy needs to be revisited, but not this extreme. So that is actually probably something you've heard before. Mm-hmm. What was kind of your response when you when you heard her say that and just kind of her response to the criticism that it would it put a dent in the city coffers? Well, I think that we need to look at that. That's why I need to have the, the data to look at it. And I'm hopeful that her office will. She, her office actually has to allow the city's IT department to give it to me. And that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as I said, I do have it on paper, but I don't have it electronically. I'm thinking about doing some things that would maybe be, um, well, maybe it's for your first three years in business. Or perhaps it's for your first three years in business, $25, let's say. And uh, if if after that you only do $5,000 worth of business a year, maybe then it remains at, at $25. So some way to help people get started. Uh, and when, the, when many of these businesses are really almost hobbies or side jobs, keep them legal. But... Uh, you know, the city doesn't really need two, $400 for the soap maker. I mean, really, is that kind of a fair thing? It's it's unlikely she'll make a, you know, 1000 or $2,000 a year. I mean, how many bars of soap would you have to sell? Probably, probably a lot. Yeah. Do you, why hasn't your bill been heard in committee yet? It hasn't been heard in committee because um, it was introduced in June, and there were a couple of other license collector bills that were introduced at the same time, and the chairman wanted to wait until we went back in session in September. So mm-hmm. I'm expecting that we'll have a hearing on it shortly. Which committee was it assigned to? Ways and Means. Ways so and that, means was, that was Conway. Correct. Um, and Ways and Means was a little busy with, with, with other measures Ways as well. Ways and Means was very busy, yes, I, as it always I, the, is. The reason I asked that question, and I, I, I don't want to play conspiracy theorists, and I would have to ask President Reeve oh, himself. Fun. But I mean, President Reed was a pretty big supporter of Mavis Thompson when she was challenged by Jeffrey Boyd. And I just wonder if this is going to be a situation where he tries to, not tries to, but is going to maybe be more persuaded by her argumentation because they're, they're political allies. Have you gotten a sense that that's the case? I don't think that's the case. Um First of all, at this point, the bill's been introduced. It's been assigned to a committee, and it, it was assigned to a sensible committee, Ways yes. and Means. And after that, the president only has one vote and however many people he can persuade. Uh, and it's not exactly like he and Conway are particularly allied no. in, in most instances. So Yeah. yeah. And no, I, th- I think it'll get a hearing. I think it'll get a fair hearing. And uh, uh you know, we just we need to have all the data and and be able to really make a sensible argument. I mean, we we do have a lot of challenges, economic challenges facing us, mm-hmm. and um, I just don't think we want to make the city's budget work on the backs of the tiny little businesses that are getting started. Well, we'll be following that uh, for a while. Thankfully, I don't have to get a business license anymore, right. so I, I no Painfully longer employed. Me. Uh, I want to talk about another issue that could be coming before the board soon, and that's the stadium. Um, mm-hmm. From from talking both with President Reed and several aldermen, and also just an email from Maggie Crane, the the communications director for Mayor Slate, the bill could be introduced this week. 
it's a bill that I think is going to engender a lot of lively debate. Um, and you need 15 votes to pass something. It looks like this could be something that divides the board in an unusual way. What's kind of your take of the situation as somebody who, you know, will have a vote on this? And if it's close, could be a decisive vote. Especially given that it goes in, in uh, ward order when they call the vote. Yeah, that's a real advantage of being uh, representing the 28th <laughs> ward. If you ever notice at the Board of Aldermen, I'm almost always counting the votes on, oh, yes. on big votes. Oh, uh, yes. And very few aldermen actually do that, but I'm always got my little piece of paper out hey, trying to keep track of that, where the vote probably, is. That probably makes you more powerful just that way. But what's your take on this? Well, you know what? I think it's a really tough uh, situation that we are in. Um, on one hand, I think as a city, it would be very tough on us to lose the Rams, to lose an NFL team, call them, you know, whatever. You again, know, for the second time. Again, and- for the second time. And it, it, it would just, it would be another mark uh, against us, I think, in, to lose them. On the other hand, it's really tough to subsidize a very, a, a billionaire, you know, so, <coughs> excuse me. It's okay. Uh, so I think it is a tough vote. I do think it makes, um, some economic sense to have the stadium and this the city will uh, continue to put in six million dollars a year the state will continue to put in their funds and of course the nfl and the owner will be putting in 450 million dollars i i have not made up my mind about this because i have not um seen the final proposal yeah. we need to see that we need to see it in writing uh, we did have Dave Peacock at the 28th Ward meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it was September 17th or something like that. Uh, he did make a very persuasive argument. I think the one of the, the good points about this is that this will not happen unless there is an NFL team. Mm. So there's not going to be any stadium built on spec here. Uh, but, but we'll see. It'll be a lively discussion, and it is a very uh, tough issue. And now you have an, an accounting background. How much of that is going to kind of come into to play here in terms of the perspective you're going to bring to right. the debate? Do you expect to have people kind of crowding around your desk saying, hey, you know, cr- crunch these numbers for me here? Is, isn't Conway well, a CPA too? Yeah, Conway is yeah. also a CPA and Joe Rohde's a financial analyst. So, uh, you know, it always comes into play with me. I mean, if you're if you're an accountant or a CPA, just like whatever your background is. And I, that's what I do day to day. In addition to being the alderman, I'm the CFO for international uh, architectural and planning firm. And uh, so, of course, it, it comes into play. Yeah. So I think that there's a, a lot. I think this would not be as controversial if it was a sure thing that the Rams were staying here. And I think one of the things that President Reed said to me is I think the reason there's going to be opposition is it's going to be funding a stadium for somebody who seems pretty intent to move to Los Angeles, and that's Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams. The other aspect that you kind of alluded to is Stan Kroenke is proposing to build a stadium in Los Angeles with basically his own money. And we have a situation here where we're going to be pouring in more state and local money into a stadium, even though Kroenke could probably pay for three of these stadiums. Kroenke could sneeze and pay for the NFL stadium. So are those two things kind of going to Play into the well, they're dichotomous. The only thing is, we will not be paying yeah. for a stadium if the Rams leave. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really important point to make. It is, uh, you know, the, it's the only industry that I can think of where 
uh, we build their capital asset for them, I mean, the sports industry, where we build capital assets for them. Uh, you know, we wouldn't do that for anyone else. But uh, I do think that, that having the Rams stay in St. Louis or having an NFL team here is important for St. Louis. Although I have to say, I haven't been to a game probably in 15 years. I've never years. been to a game. I watch them on TV. I've been to one. So. Yeah. But, so, but, but I, it more... is important for a lot of folks, and there's a whole industry around that and a lot of workers. So I want to play a clip from Alderman Chris Carter, who brought up two other concerns. One was the fact that a voter-approved ordinance that required a citywide vote on stadiums was knocked down. And also the fact that St. Louis County, as of now, may not pay for any of this new stadium. This is what he had to say about that. I know that uh, it's going to be hard uh, for me to uh, to support, especially when I'm going to always go back to my number one thing is I just feel that the people of St. Louis City should be voting on, on, on this. And, you know, I believe that also if we're going to do this, the Rams, they entertain county residents too. Where's the the county buy-in? Interestingly, the reason why the county is not in this right now is County Executive Steve Stanger was pretty adamant that there be a county-wide vote in the county on this, even if it wasn't required. Now, Mayor Slay is not taking that tact, obviously, but unlike the state legislature, the Board of Aldermen is going to debate and approve this. So it's not like this is being done by fiat, or as Governor Jane Nixon told me, by French car. Um, that's a very interesting. Yeah, he 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 seemed to think that a fiat was a French car, or, mm. or jokingly thought so. But what do you? I mean, Alderman Carter is probably not going to be the only person who brings up those types of concerns. What do you? What do you have to right. think about that? Well, I think it uh, it would have been better had there been a, a citywide vote on this for the city's portion of it. Uh, but, you know, we do have a representative form of government, and that's why you get elected, and that is to make the hard votes. So this will be one of those votes either way. Uh, so I think that, you know, and, and the whole county issue, uh, yeah, that rubs that, that rubs you the wrong way a bit. Now, I, I'm hopeful that the county will be uh, in to continue to help enhance and maintain the convention center. I think because, they are. So, you know, yes. I mean, it seems like that is the case. So, as I said, we need to. I need to see the numbers. I, I want to see this on a piece of paper, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, there'll be a full-page ad or somewhere, and or uh, you know, radio spots to explain this to the people as well. We'll try to do it in forty-five seconds if we can. But that's where the web comes in very handy. I've got it on a lot of these sort of like big splash items. Um, you either see them kind of come in where the work's been done behind the scene and they go through without a whole lot of changes or there's a lot of, you know, back and forth as we saw with the minimum wage. How do you think this is going to be something that plays out? Is it going to be it comes in and is just sort of like there that they've got the votes lined up and that's why they're introducing it? Or is there going to be some real substantive changes made at the board and committee level? Mm, I don't know if they have the votes lined up or not. Um, I, I don't know if that, you know, what the case is there. I also don't know how many, uh, what practically you can really make in terms of changes at, on on the floor. So yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. But I I want to talk a little bit about something that happened in the past, but still ongoing right now. Is that that's the city's minimum wage increase? Now you actually played a pretty big role in this debate because you put forward a successful amendment that lowered the minimum wage. I think to thirteen dollars from thirteen dollars an hour to eleven dollars an hour. But made it, I think, kick in sooner, I think, or something along no, that lines? No, uh, I mean, the amendment that I offered, which was eventually passed, um, 
would have the minimum wage go to $9 in 2016, $10 in 2017, and $11 in 2018, and it would stop there. The previous bill uh, took it on a couple more years. You know, one of my arguments is really hard to foresee the future, Mm -hmm. and uh, particularly uh, the economy. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I I thought it was important to... uh, um, just take it a slow this up a bit, um, and I think we're going to have to see what comes out of the lawsuit that it has been filed to figure out whether or not we actually have the uh, ability to do that. Certainly, uh, low-income folks need to make more money. However, we've got to make this work with what goes on in St. Louis County and the rest of the state, um, and you know I'm always hopeful that the state will take up these kinds of issues, but dang. <laughs> Often they don't. Yeah, there could be a statewide initiative that's done beyond the state legislature. I, I do have to ask, though, I don't think you actually voted on this. I think you had to leave or something like that. How would you have voted on this if you could have? Uh, I would have voted for my own amendment. And, yes, I mean, I, I, I wish we at the Board of Aldermen could sort of get our act together a little bit more so that we don't have to have all these special meetings right. that get called with you know, 48-hour notice and, and that sort of thing. I assume uh, you had to, like, go back to your real job or something like no. that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I had a meeting at, at 2 o'clock that, yeah. that day, and it was a meeting set up with a bunch of other people that I couldn't just change. You know, yeah. most of the time I can. Most of the time I just run with it, and, and I'm at the committee hearings and all the places right. I need to be, but... It was just a well, last I didn't want to get too thing. hung Cause, cause up on that. Because you are not an alderman that, you know, is, is missing a whole lot of votes. You're usually no. there and you will and you will vote, too. It's not just a, you I know, hate I'm to voting miss a president vote, or And sure. I never walk on a vote. I don't think people elect you to walk on a vote. Right. Um, so. But, but, I, but let's just say that the lawsuit is unsuccessful and St. Louis um, minimum wage goes up to $11 an hour and there's no action on the state level. What will probably end up being the case is St. Louis City will have a different minimum wage from the rest of the state because Kansas City's minimum wage is, I think, about to be repealed because they didn't make it past uh, August 28th. Do you think the city may be at a competitive disadvantage with the surrounding jurisdictions because it has a different minimum wage than everybody else? I think that, you know, the, the minimum wage on 16 will be nine dollars. Um, I don't think that, that that's a, a dollar more, essentially, than the federal minimum wage. I don't think that's enough to put us at a competitive disadvantage. And then I think we'll just have to see what happens, you know, um, whether whether the county does something, whether most employers go to $9. A lot of businesses that I spoke with are already paying $9 mm-hmm. or very close to it. And so I think that it's one of these things we'll just have to see how this plays out. Certainly there uh, are some concerns about paying more than the surrounding areas, but you know there are some also some pluses to that. I mean, I think you know maybe the best employees will be wanting to work here uh, as opposed to in some other business, and sort of you know rising tide will uh, raise all boats. So, so one of the people who made that argument was Alderman Antonio French, who voted against this. He he's probably one of the few times he's joined with you know, Southwest uh, St. Louis aldermen on issues. But here's what he had to say, especially about the fact the city and the county will not have the same minimum wage. And so I think this shortcut, lazy approach, instead of building a coalition in St. Louis County, 
and trying to build a regional approach to this is going to cost us in the long run. And frankly, the long run ain't that long. You're talking about 26 months. And I want people to remember this vote today, how we've changed the economy in the city of St. Louis and how we've done something alone when we didn't have to do it. We did it without the proper information. Uh, and it's going to hurt the folks that I think many people are intending to help. I do have to make one kind of clarification. The reason why the county said that they weren't going along with this wasn't necessarily because Steve Stanger doesn't want to raise the minimum wage. His argument was that legally he couldn't tell the 90 municipalities that their minimum wage is going up to a certain level. And he thought that doing it just in the unincorporated areas was impractical given how patchworky the unincorporated And there's not areas. a whole lot of business. I mean, unincorporated is mostly residential well, to some degree. not necessarily because South County is That's, all yeah, unincorporated. There's is a, quite a few businesses down there. But that was the reason. There was some conflation that, you know, Stanger wanted the minimum wage lower to bring businesses over there. I can't read his mind, but that wasn't the reason he was opposed to it. There was at least a Republican councilman who said that. But now that that wordy explanation is out of the way, what do you what do you kind of make of what uh, Alderman French had to say? Well, I guess first to Steve Stanger, I certainly would not uh, make that that assumption uh, as to what he might be thinking about it. So, uh, and I would never make that accusation. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Alderman French's comments, uh, I think you know there's a, a legitimate uh, difference of opinion here about how to how to get there, um, and I also don't think it's helpful to to make a comment which has name calling in it to call everyone who's for it lazy. I mean that that's that's not helpful. Yeah. Well, I know that aldermen work pretty hard, so I don't think that that would be accurate for everyone. But I think we want to spend the last few minutes talking about crime in St. Louis and kind of strategies about how we're going to to change the way we are. I think, Rachel, you're the one who checks on the, the crime stats. I think we've gone around or over 150 homicides. We're at 148 as of Tuesday. We had 159 all of last year. I think we're still on pace mm-hmm. to have about 200 for the first time since 1996. And the the one that's gotten the most attention right now is the the Cardinals fan who was shot and wounded outside of Bush Stadium. And you've got a lot of people being critical of the fact that they're, you know, it's an all hands on deck overtime. FBI comes in to look for, you know, somebody, uh, the, the person who was shot and wounded. And that's that's a horrible crime, but it's being perceived as being more important than the violence that goes on in some of the neighborhoods in the cities. And I just wanted to kind of get your take on it. Is this just a, you know, because it's it's perce- the city's now perceived as a dangerous place for for everyone that this is happening, or should you know the resources be going to every incident like this? Well, I guess first of all, uh, there's no denying that there is really a spike in crime uh, over that's been occurring over the last year or two, uh, year year and a half, I believe. Uh, Today or yesterday, I guess, there had been 151 murders in the yeah. city of St. Louis. And, of course, there are a number of other peoples that, people that have been um, injured. So uh, I see this as um, an emboldened cr- criminal uh, element as well as, uh, you know, a, a uh, maybe some reticence on the part of the police department. I don't know that for sure. I'm just, you know, feeling that yeah, just if you're be- a police officer in, mm-hmm. in this environment, I mean, you um, 
you know, you want to be even more careful. Yeah, because at the same time that this is going on, there's been a nationwide dialogue about policing tactics, especially after the Michael Brown shooting. And, you know, after the Mansur Ball Bay shooting, I mean, those came up again because apparently the shooting kind of occurred when somebody was doing a warrant of a house to fight crime. So right. you have to juggle those two different things. You and do. it's not it's easy. Ve- it's very tough. It, it is a very tough situation. You know, it is, um, and this is on, on a, well, you asked specifically about the, the crime downtown. You know, every, anyone who's shot is somebody's, uh, you know, husband, brother, cousin, uh, sister. So they're all important crimes. Um, the randomness of this crime is uh, one of the things I think that sets it apart from some other crimes, not all, but some other crimes. Uh, and, you know, there just has to be a more intense effort to, to get the bad actors off the street. And, uh, you know, it would be like, well, what would we be saying if the mayor or the chief just said, oh, well, I mean, then we'd be saying, you've got to be kidding me. We have to focus on this more. So I think it's a very tough position to be in. I think we have to focus in all neighborhoods. Um, I also, though, think that we cannot police ourselves out of this situation. Mm-hmm. Policing has to be part of it. More officers have to be part of it. But we can't arrest ourselves out of this situation. It's such a complex uh, issue. And frankly, we're, we're in some ways reaping uh, the... Uh, Reaping what we've sown, if that that is the the analogy here. I think here. it's a proper analogy. Yeah. Proper analogy, and and that is you know no early childhood education or, or very little early childhood education, uh, very um, uh, difficult mental health situation, and not enough mental health, and a flood of guns into uh, our state and and surrounding areas as well. It's not just our state, but, you know, as a country, we seem to have decided that we're all better off if we are all packing. I don't see it that way. You probably know that. I I see, you know, that the gun legislation that we had, Amendment 5, which says now that you can carry guns in your car, no uh, conceal and carry permit, or anything. I, th- I think that's been a very detrimental uh, situation for our city. Now, is it the reason this is happening? No, it's not the reason. It is one of the reasons. I was just going to ask because I've heard um, some people ascribe some of it, some of the crime, not all of it, because you mentioned those other things like mental health, lack of early childhood education, poverty, all sorts of things. Are lack probably, of jobs. Lack of jobs are also big things. I just wonder, though, the people who are committing these crimes, uh, especially people who are shooting people like the situation just happened, do you think that they're getting these guns legally? Or isn't it more likely that even if there were more stringent background checks, they're getting these firearms either by stealing them out of cars or just getting them on the black market or something? There's really no law that could prevent something like that. Well, the more guns there are out there, you know, gun sales have gone up over the last few years. And mm. the more guns there are out there, the more good folks leave their guns in the car, the more guns that are stolen. I mean, I heard this, I don't know if it's true, but I hear you can buy a box of guns, box of guns for $500 in some locations. And guns, I don't know, I don't think they uh, get them legally. But I do know that, you know, if almost every car has a gun in it, um, then that guns are very, very accessible. Yeah, that I think is a 
pretty serious problem, and that's probably mm-hmm. how people who are maybe committing some of these crimes, getting their guns, right. they're stealing them out of cars. You know, I, I'd oh, like yeah. to see it be uh, a requirement that if you have your gun in your car, it has to be locked in one of these gun safety boxes. Um, or, But, you know, that puts the responsibility on the gun, gun owner. But right now, I think the gun owners have to take responsibility for those weapons. And, and I don't really think that that's happening. Do you, do you have confidence in police chief Sam Dotson to to fight crime I right do. now? To the level that police can. I, I do. Mm. Yes, I do. Um, you know, I think it's a very tough time to be the police chief and a uh, very tough time to be a police officer. But um, all the officers that I know are out there every day trying to do a good job. So, um, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason to make a change there if that's the And that's question. up to the mayor now. I mean, mm-hmm. because of local control, it was once uh, done via a state board. But now, basically, the arrangement is the mayor controls the police department. It's somewhat indirect, like the Department of Safety Director, who's appointed by the mayor, oversees the police department. Right. But for all intents well, and purposes, he, the And mayor... he always nominated the chief, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. It was the mm-hmm. Board of Police Commissioners had the, the final say, but I can't remember a time where it was, I'm going to reject the choice of right. the mayor. So right. the reason I mention that is one of the, one of the trade-offs of local control means that it's the mayor's kind of responsibility to set strategy and to, to figure this out. Do you think he's doing an effective job of that right now? It is the mayor's responsibility uh, to work with the police chief would be the way I would say it. The mayor's not a police officer and doesn't have police training. Right. Um, and so it is it is the responsibility of the mayor, many would say, and of the Board of Aldermen mm-hmm. uh, and of the Department of Public Safety to work with the chief uh, and others around the country to make this as effective as possible. But I think that, you know, the police are, uh, they're the last resort in everything. If you have a domestic, resor- uh, you know, uh, dispute, they're the last resort. If you got a problem with your neighbor over your parking spot, they're the last resort. If you have, you know, we call the police in our worst moments. And so it's a tough job. And, um, you know, we have to, we have to supplement that with doing other things as well. Okay, we only have a couple minutes left, so let's uh, do like a political lightning round. You just won re-election against the venerable Bill Haas. So you're I did, there. yes. You, I believe you, it's now planning to challenge the treasurer because you can't feed the meters and um, add time on the new electric meters. Let's not even go there. But um, you're, you're the latest person to beat Bill Haas in election, although he has won school board elections. Have you given any thought of running for anything else besides alderman? I know you ran for board of alderman president in 2002 against Jim Shrewsbury, but since then you, you've kind of run for re-election. Any, any, any future political plans you want to break on this show? Oh, nothing I want to break on this show, but I think, you know. <laughs> nice try, Jason. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, I do think that uh, good leaders always have to look for opportunities. And um, so, you know, some sometimes your, your time – comes up and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, being a, being the alderman for the 28th ward is probably a, a nice gig as it is. So it's not like you're dog catcher or anything. Although sometimes you know, I'm sure you are a dog catcher as alderman. Yeah, I've rescued a few dogs yeah. actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, and your name was always bandied about as potential statewide or, or citywide candidates mm-hmm. every year, you know, state, auditor, state senator. State senator. I, I don't well, know. Sponsored the doggy dining bill. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if you want to be a state rep, though. One of your one of your colleagues is running for state rep, but mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I don't have any interest in being a state rep. Yeah, 
because the being state senator is where all the power is, but it's mm-hmm. a completely different job. You have to travel a lot. You probably would have to give up a lot of professionally because you're mm-hmm. there for five months. So, it, it, I think being a state senator is a really interesting, um, interesting job. Uh, and, you know, over the years, I, I had two kids. When I was first elected, my kids were, oh, I don't know, I think they were seven and four. And uh, so, you know, certainly going to Jeff City was not anywhere on my radar screen. They're grown now. They're 25 and Ooh. 22. 2018, <laughs> that seat is open. I was going to say, Kevney's termed out. Yeah. Right, but then but again, I love being the alderman, yeah. seriously. it's a ve- Being the alderman is a very people oriented job. I think being in Jeff City is not so people oriented. No, it's not. I think it's much more policy oriented, which all of which interests me, but uh, you know, one of the things I really like about about being the twenty eighth ward alderman is just uh, getting to work with all the people on different projects, on development projects, on neighborhood issues, on um, uh, just all kinds of things. So I like the people end of this job myself. We'll leave it right there, and when you're ready to announce uh, dog running for dog catcher across the city, you can come on our show. Great. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank uh, you. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Rachel on Twitter at? At R. Lipman. And you can follow the Alderman on Twitter at? At Lida Krusen. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. So long.